our food system is at the heart of a number of environmental and social problems that we are facing today. And the challenges are many. A growing world population in a context of increasingly scarce natural resources, the loss of biodiversity, malnutrition, hunger or obesity. The transition towards a more sustainable food chain is a key priority globally, creating a world of new opportunities for investors. In this podcast, I talk to Gillian Deeson, Senior Product Specialist at Pictet Asset Management. Gillian, welcome back. It's great to have you again. Thank you so much for having me again. Now, Gillian, before we fully immerse ourselves in the food sector, could you please outline the complete food value chain for us? Absolutely. So, I mean, this is quite a complex thing, but we've tried to simplify it. You can simplify it quite simply, um, really into three main blocks. So if we look upstream, uh, we've got ag tech, roughly speaking. So this is all the agricultural part um, of this food cha- value chain. Um, some of the things you might find here would be uh, precision farming technologies, uh, sustainable agriculture, aquaculture. Then in the middle of this chain, uh, you would find what we would call logistics. So everything we need to get the food from the farm to our plates Um, So you would find things like food distribution here, but also food safety testing, diagnostics. Um, And then finally, downstream, we have the food element itself. So food products, supplements and food ingredients players. Right. So that's quite a process there. Uh, What is so problematic about the way that we produce and we consume our food? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But today we really believe that Our food systems are at the heart of some of our largest environmental and social problems in the world today. Um, you know, we're living in a, in a time in which we have a growing global population that needs to be fed. Uh, but within the context also of climate change and fewer and fewer natural resources, whether those are arable land or water and indeed agriculture itself, which is one of the most resource intensive industries out there. Overlay on top of that, then, um, you know, a global health crisis, which for once I'm not going to talk about COVID, but actually malnutrition, uh, which is something that has been growing under the surface for quite some time and is just as much about hunger or lack of sufficient access to nutrition as it is about obesity uh, and these kinds of diet related comorbidities like diabetes um, and heart disease that, that one's suffering from as well. So, um, you know, really there, there's no single silver bullet to these really major environmental and social problems. And so if we're going to try to mitigate some of these challenges, we really need to look across uh, the entire food value chain for different solutions. And broadly speaking, what would you say are the structural changes then needed to make our food system more sustainable? Yeah, so so the kinds of solutions, let's say, that I mentioned, um, which are really the, the changes that we need to see um, if we're going to address these these global challenges um, are, are multiple. Um, on the one hand, you know, if we look at that upstream part of the value chain, we're looking at more sustainability. How do we produce more with less, uh, with less chemical usage, with less natural resources? 
how do we do this in a way that's more efficient? How do we make sure that everything we do produce um, actually ends up on our plates and isn't wasted uh, along the way? This is also about sustainability. And then finally, those products that we're consuming, how do we make sure that they're of better quality? Um, so this could be reformulating to have less, less salt, less sugar, less fat, um, healthier for us or to be more functional for us. If you think about things like probiotics and, and supplements, these are essentially functional foods. So I think there's this element of, of sustainability. Um, and there's also this element of quality. And globally speaking, we can look at a few things that sort of connect all these things together, like shorter, simpler global food supply chains um, that help bring closer together the consumer um, to food production, but also, you know, better logistics, um, and that that more sustainable, better quality product at the end. Right. I know we're not talking about the pandemic per se, but let's touch base on it shortly because it has changed uh, our food system in, in different ways as well. For example, during the pandemic, many consumers have discovered uh, mealbox uh, services, such as those uh, offered by uh, HelloFresh, for example. What was the effect of COVID-19 on, on our food consumption behavior, would you say, Gillian? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this has been really interesting to look at. It's something that's still ongoing but I think there is definitely a heightened awareness, um, you know, through this pandemic of the relationship fundamentally between diet and health. Um, and so you're starting to see really consumers starting to vote with their feet towards quote unquote better for you products. We've seen sales of things like probiotics, supplements, plant-based products go up over this period, which is an indication a little bit towards this consumer demand for more sustainable, better quality products. Um, but we've also seen the way in which consumers consume these products uh, change as well. So you're really starting to see um, the quote-unquote digital revolution finally coming to the food space, uh, where we have things like on-demand food delivery, your meal kits, food distribution really at the touch of our button through our phones. Um, so these, I think, are the, the two fundamental ways in which we've seen consumers uh, starting to change their habits. One, one is the product themselves um, and the other is how they get hold of it. Right. Uh, another thing that we've seen uh, during the pandemic uh, is that the successive lockdowns caused empty store shelves in, in the food stores. Are uh, food companies looking at their production and their distribution model differently at, as a result, would you say? I think everybody's looking uh, at the food value chain differently. Right. <laughs> it's not just the companies themselves, but it but it's also consumers and, and it's governments too, uh, because this is really a matter of food security that has really become, you know, something in the spotlight. We're looking at uh, a lot of new generation companies in this food space that are really at the forefront of shortening these really long, complex global supply chains that we have in our food systems to go more direct uh, to consumer. I mean, HelloFresh, you mentioned before, that that's one uh, example there of really connecting local producers with the end consumers through uh, a very convenient app. Um, but you can also talk about things like vertical farming and these new methods of agriculture that essentially help to cut out some of the environmental but also 
economic costs involved in the logistics of a very long, complex global supply chain. Uh, so this issue of food security is definitely something that's being addressed and felt, I think, by everybody uh, in the food space. Right. Let's let's take a closer look at, at your investment strategy at, at Pictay. Could you uh, briefly explain to us the investment philosophy behind Pictay's nutrition strategy? Yeah, so this strategy has been going for quite some time long before uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals or before ESG investing really became a trend. Um, but it's really a, a good example of Pictet's approach in general to investing, which is very much solutions-based. Um, today, this strategy is all about our food systems being at the heart of these major environmental and social challenges that we have globally and really seeing our food systems as the biggest lever we have to address these issues. So um, what it does is try to direct capital to companies that are improving three fundamental things. One is the sustainability of, the second is the access to, and the third is the quality uh, of the food uh, that we need for our health, for our development. Um, so as a result, it's a strategy that really spans the entire food value chain. Um, and it really looks for companies who are very much aligned with this idea of a planetary health diet. So things that are good for both people and planet. Right. And in which part of that value chain you just described, do you see the best uh, prospect for growth? Well, it, it's it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, there's growth across this chain. It's like saying, you know, what's your favorite child? Uh, but uh, ultimately, um, you know, I think if, if we're going back to, to some of those points we had earlier in terms of better food security, I think this is a, a late motif amongst many of the new generation uh you know, corporates or companies within the food space today, um, as are companies who are really geared for a healthier, more sustainable product. Um, so better for you food, better for food security, and uh, more convenient access, um, or, or essentially the digital revolution in food, whether that's at the consumer end and really about access, or indeed about the agricultural methods that we employ today themselves. Um, we're seeing an enormous amount of growth when it comes to things like alternative proteins, um, but also uh, in tech, again, showing the span of, of growth opportunities really right the way across um, our food value chain. And are there any activities that you exclude in your or your strategy? Yes, I, that's just as important actually as what we do include. Right. Uh, because there are certain elements that we believe um, we really don't want to be directing our capital to these things because uh, for the most part, um, they might be products that require, for example, a lot of our precious resources to produce, but don't ultimately have a positive impact either on our health or on the planet. So for example, uh, in that food space, uh, we exclude manufacturers of beef, of processed meats, of confectionery, alcohol, all these things that fundamentally we're supposed to be eating less of most of the time, um, but which require a lot of our, our resources to produce. Um, the same goes for things like synthetic fertilizers uh, or pesticides, which ultimately degrade our soil and really have a negative impact all the way along this food value chain and ultimately to us as humans. 
Right. Uh, other activities such as, um, for example, cultivation of agricultural crops or the production of biofuel for animal feed uh, are also controversial, uh, partly because of their environmental impact. Are these activities part of your investment strategy? Commodity crops? Uh, no, I mean, we're, we're not really looking at commodities per se. Uh, we really want to be looking at the, the value added types of products and services that we can find along this food value chain um, and which are really contributing to a more sustainable food future. Uh, so um, with that in mind, you're not going to be finding sort of really plain vanilla commodities uh, in this strategy. Um, and, you know, you mentioned animal feed. We, we really prefer not to be encouraging too much in the way of animal protein consumption, um, which is also why we, we exclude beef manufacturers, because we want to really use more of our land to feed people rather than just animals. Um, and what's, what, what's really interesting, actually, if you look at an example like beef and you look at uh, metrics like the feed conversion ratio, um, so essentially how much input you need for one unit of output, you're looking at something in the range of six to one with an output that we're increasingly told as humans to eat less of. Whereas if you compare that, for example, to say salmon, um, that has a feed conversion ratio closer to one to one. Um, and that end output is almost entirely edible, um, super high in, in omega oils and other nutrients that we need. Um, so just as an example. Right, right. Now, would you say that companies that contribute to the food transition uh, are sustainable companies um, by definition? Uh, and, and let me show you an example. For example, Nestle, they have an important position in, in your uh, strategy. However, in the past two years, that company has been associated with uh, child labor and, and water pollution. Um, how about that? Well, I'm, it really depends. <laughs> it depends on every company. Um and, uh, you know, we'll look at the product mix, for example, of a company. We'll look at their R&D spend. We'll look at their long-term strategy, their goals of management um, to really determine whether this is a, a company whose strategy is geared for something aligned to our philosophy of nutrition. That's the first step. The second thing is that there are a lot of companies out there, and Nestle is a probably a, quite a good example of one of them, Um which are incredibly important in this food space, but they've been around for a very long time. And it's like a big tanker or cruise ship. It takes time to move the ship around right. and to shift it to something else. So this is why we're really long-term investors. And uh, when, we in, when we invest in a company, we tend to hold that position for in the range of five years, which gives us time to really work together with the management of those companies to try and help make a change. Um, so with someone like Nestle, actually, I would say it's quite a deeply misunderstood stock in general, because while we know it best for its Kit Kats and its ice creams, 80% of this company's revenues are actually coming from nutritional products. Mm. Um, it is actually one of the largest plant-based meat producers globally, um, although most people don't associate it with that. Um, and it invests incredibly heavily in these nutritional solutions, solutions to single-use plastics, uh, solutions to curbing activities um, like the controversies that, that you just mentioned. Um, so it's a company that we would work 
together with, in conjunction with other asset managers uh, and other investors to really push for change. But already uh, in the last few years, we've seen a significant shift in a company like this um, towards uh, a more nutritional strategy, divesting their processed meats, divesting their confectionery businesses, their ice creams and so on, um, which is all really an important part of helping to improve uh, the sustainability of these companies in the food space. Thank you for, for clarifying that, uh, Gillian. Um, and as you've just clearly explained to us, the food industry is facing a number of challenges. Uh, not only is there the food transition, but we also have those exploding commodity uh, prices that we see currently. Um, as a final question, would you say that the food sector is still a defensive investment? Well, Food in itself, let's say consumer staples uh, as a sector, is inherently quite defensive. We we all need to eat, right? <laughs> uh, regardless of the the economic climate. Um, but uh, I think you know what's interesting is if you look again at the the food sector more holistically, and this idea of the food value chain going from upstream you know, agriculture and agriculture technology through to logistics and, and finally food itself. And there you'll find that, for example, on the upstream side, these higher commodity prices have actually been helping, arguably, farmers uh, on the upstream side, helping them to have a level of income that has helped encourage them to invest more um, in new equipment um, that is uh, more efficient, uh, you know, precision farming type tools, um, and to replace some of their aging equipment. Uh, so in that sense, higher commodity prices isn't necessarily a bad thing across the board. At the same time, if we look really on the far other end, the downstream side, you have so many of these food companies that are extremely large, uh, very experienced. They have the kind of quality and pricing power that they need to be able to pass on rising raw material costs uh, to the end consumer. Um, and at the same time, I think more globally, you know, we were talking about changing consumer habits and we have seen consumers really start to shift to those slightly more premium types of food categories. I think arguably one reason is because of that that really uh, more tangible link between diet and health that we see as a result of COVID. Um, so the trends are also strong uh, in that direction. So overall, I would still say um, that, you know, an investment in a food related strategy is relatively speaking, probably um, one of the more defensive things and, and relatively sheltered from inflation uh, versus other sectors. Thank you so much, Gillian. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. You listened to a podcast about the opportunities that the nutrition industry offers to investors. And I would like to thank today's guest, Gillian Deason, Senior Product Specialist at Pictet Asset Management, for her time and her insights. This podcast is offered to you by Pictet Asset Management. For more podcasts, please visit fondsnews.nl if you are located in the Netherlands. Or if you're based in Belgium, please visit Investment Officer, investmentofficer.be. Thank you for listening.
This marketing material is for professional investors only. It is prepared by Pictay Asset Management Europe SA. Address. Badament Solaris. Terhulp Sustainweg 120. 1000 Brussels, Belgium. However, it is not intended for distribution to any person or entity who is a citizen or resident of any locality, state, country or other jurisdiction where such distribution, publication, or use would be contrary to law or regulation. Information used in the preparation of this document is based upon sources believed to be reliable, but no representation or warranty is given as to the accuracy or completeness of those sources. Any opinion, estimate or forecast may be changed at any time without prior warning. Investors should read the prospectus or offering memorandum before investing in any Pictay managed funds. Tax treatment depends on the individual circumstances of each investor and may be subject to change in the future. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. All forms of investment involve risk. The value of investments and the income from them can fall as well as rise and is not guaranteed. You may not get back the amount originally invested. For information about personal data protection, please refer to the Pictay Group's privacy notice, available on our website, am.pictay.